0: So as Tim introduced this morning, my name is Jeffrey. I'm the pastoral intern here. Uh, it's our senior pastor, Jeff Elliott's third month of his sabbatical, so he'll be coming back next month. And so uh, things are been getting pretty dicey around here at the church. Uh, the elders the elders have been begging me for weeks to come preach and breathe some life back into the congregation, so here I am. Uh, I was promised a raise after this, and so, so here I am. So I'm going to be continuing our series in James. So if you'll turn with me to James 5, uh, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's going to be 10:13, and I'll give you a moment to turn there. We're going to be reading verses one through six of James 5. It says, "Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me pray before we continue. Dear Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the Apostle James and what he's been writing in all of these chapters so far. And Lord, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray that the words that I say and the um, verses I use, I pray that they will all be from you and that you will be glorified through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be talking about money, which is one of the most commonly talked about topics in the entire Bible. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see t- lots and lots of passages uh, talking about money, the dangers of money, how to use money properly. Uh, Jesus actually speaks a lot about money as well, and we'll be looking at some passages where Jesus addresses it. Uh, this passage, I think, is really interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but it's, uh, it's extremely harsh, and it's extremely, uh, I don't know, Old Testament feeling when it, when it talks. There's so much talk of judgment and it seems really harsh, especially for uh, an epistle. Uh, so I'm going to read a passage from Amos in the Old Testament that I think is very similar. And so you tell me if you see some similarities, and it'll be projected as well. This is in Amos 8. It says, Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies... They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And skipping down to verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. And this is the, the kind of harshness that you um, know more of the Old Testament and kind of the, the fear and the judgment. But the James passage shares a lot of that. So I don't, want us to miss, I don't want us to miss how serious this passage is. One interesting thing to note about money is, and I want to make this point early on, is that money is amoral, meaning that it's neither good nor bad. Uh, a lot of people will, will warn us against money, but it is something that, if used properly, is okay, and it's, it's only when our heart toward it is wrong. I heard one pastor compare it to fire. You know, if you put fire in your house in the fireplace... It is amazing. It gives warmth, it gives light, and it is something that is truly life-giving. But as soon as the fire leaves its rightful place in the home, as soon as it's uncontained, as soon as it is misused, it can destroy everything you own. And in the same way, money is something that is really useful, and it is life-giving, and it can be used for so many different things. But as soon as it leaves its rightful place in your heart, as soon as it is misused, as soon as it becomes uncontained, then it can be extremely dangerous. And that's why we see the, the severity in what James writes here. So as you may have seen, the first phrase in the verse says, come now you rich. And I, know, I don't know about you, but my first habit when I see that is to think, okay, well, it's not talking about me because I'm not rich, but I can now think about other people who maybe need this verse. <laughs> but I, I wanna challenge you to not I want to challenge you to not just disregard this passage. Uh, it's funny, every single person has a different category of who's rich or who's wealthy in the world. Um, so everyone has different standards, everyone has different categories, but one thing that we almost always have in common is that those, uh, those descriptions, those definitions don't generally include us in the category of rich or wealthy. Fidelity put out a really interesting survey where they asked only people who had over a million dollars in savings not including property and retirement. So this is people who had one million dollars essentially to play with in savings and different investments. And they asked all of these people, do you feel rich or do you feel wealthy? And a staggering 42% of them responded no, I, I don't think I'm rich, I don't feel wealthy. And so what I'm gonna say to you this morning is, no matter how much money we have, it's hard for us to portray ourselves or to feel as though we're rich. There's this website uh, called globalrichlist.com that I would ask you to to look at later. You can put in your income or your overall wealth, and it'll give you some statistics to put it into a better perspective how much you have. And so I put my intern's salary in there, uh, that uh, I put it in and it gave me some statistics. It gave me these. It said I'm in the top 0.95% of all earners in the entire world. It said that the average laborer in Indonesia, not the poor laborer, the average laborer in Indonesia works 44 years to make what I make in one. Um, And lastly, if you go to Malawi, 202 doctors combined have the same salary as me. So what I say, uh, what I I bring these statistics for is not to disqualify myself from the raise the session was gonna give me. But I I say this to make the point that every single one of you listening to me right now is rich. uh, And no amount of comparison or unfair categories can remove you from that category. So I will say let's look at this passage with the perspective of it being about us. So what is it that makes money so dangerous? Uh, What is it that makes it something that is so talked about in the Bible and something to be really careful and wary of? Well, I'll say there are certain idols that we have in our heart, certain heart conditions, that money is something that promises to fulfill or something uh, money promises to to help us achieve those idols. So I'm going to list a couple of them. Uh, There's comfort. Money promises comfort, promises happiness, security, and it can promise us social status. Um, I'm going to talk about it in two different ways. Uh, The two general things we can do with money that we've earned. We can either spend it, or we can save it. So, let's start with spending. Uh, What does James say in the passage? In verses 2 and 3, you'll see, uh, he says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And so, this uh, this gives me the, the picture of Uh, Possessions that you've built up over time and how they kind of collect dust and there'll be uh, evidence against us, it says. Uh, Does anyone have a room in your house, maybe a closet, maybe an attic or a basement that is full of things that you don't use? I can think of so many different things that I own that I have not used in a long time. Maybe it's clothes that you just don't wear anymore. Maybe it's clothes that even worse, you literally have not worn since you purchased it. Uh, There's dining sets maybe that you have in your house that you only use once a year for certain people and that you have in the attic because you need it for certain things but you only use it once a year or maybe less. Uh, As I said, James says these things will be evidence against us and I, I think of a courtroom when I hear the word evidence and so I imagine myself in the divine courtroom before the judge, God, and on the last day he'll ask me, how did you use the resources and money that I have given you. How did you use them for my glory? And then I'll say, I budgeted well, I spent wisely. I think I was pretty careful in uh, planning out my purchases and how I lived my life. But then I can imagine Satan coming through, parading all of these racks of clothing, all of these uh, boxes of things that I've saved over the years that I just have not used for anything. And I think those are going to be very condemning evidence against me. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with it. Jesus tells this story of this master who has three servants, and to each he gives a sum of money, or talents, as they're called in the parable. So he gives one five talents, he gives one two, and then he gives the third one one. And then he says, he tells them to go out and use them to make a profit and then bring it back. And so at the end of the story, the two the two servants who uh, had, respectively, five and two talents came back, and they had doubled the money, and so they brought it all to the master. And he was exceedingly pleased. He, he said, well done, good and faithful servants. Uh, you have uh, done faithfully with this. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's something that's beautiful and something that we all want to do. But then, as we know, the third, the third uh, servant was, was scared that he was going to misuse it, or that he was not going to be able to make the same kind of profit that the other ones did. And so he buried it in the ground and just let it sit there until the last day. And then he dug it up, brought it back. And then the master, it says, was displeased. He said, you could have at least even just put it into a bank to accrue interest. But instead, you wasted it. And then it says he was cast out where there's weeping uh, and gnashing of teeth. That is hard for me not to relate myself to with all of the things that I've used with God's money that just don't have any use whatsoever. And so I will briefly say this now, but uh, James says uh, you've stored up treasure in the last days. Last days kind of gives us an eternal perspective. It kind of gives us a sense of urgency with the things that we buy and with the places where we put our money. And I'll say to you this morning that we should have a sense of urgency with what we do. God's kingdom is coming soon, the eternity is coming soon, and all of those things that we buy that are earthly will not last. And so if you put it into perspective how short our time on earth is versus the amount of time in heaven, uh, building up earthly capital means nothing compared to heavenly capital. Um, Another way we can spend money is to gain status. And so what I mean by that is, we'll buy certain things, maybe a phone, or a car, or a type of house, so that we will fit into some social category or build up some type of reputation. Um, Have you ever had a car that needed its brake pads replaced or needed new fluid, and so every time you stopped, there was a loud screeching sound And I can very vividly uh, remember times where I've had that situation and when I pull up to a place where there are people that I know standing outside and there's that loud screech that is so humiliating, it's so embarrassing to me. And why is that? It's because I don't want to be known as someone who has a cheap car. I don't want to be known as someone who, or I don't even want to be perceived as someone who maybe can't pay for for the fix just yet and I'm saving up money. Even if it's not true, I don't want other people to think of me in that way. Um, Have you ever heard of people uh, talking about how much other people uh, make in terms of, uh, I don't know, saying something like, wow, they just got a new car, but what do they even do? Like, What what does he do for a living? Like, How much does he make? I know in high school especially, we would always categorize people based on how much their parents made, uh, looking at their clothes, looking at the type of phone they had. And I wish I could say that those categories went away after high school, but I don't really think they do. You see, whether we're consciously uh, thinking of it or not, I think we all tend to categorize people, and we tend to categorize different items that we can buy that will raise or lower our social standing. Uh, For this reason, we often want others to think that we have money. And so we don't mind if people notice a particularly nice outfit that we're wearing. (laughs) Thank you. We don't mind if people notice a particular outfit that we're wearing, if it's really nice. Or if we're having people over to our house, we might put extra work into making sure it looks really presentable. And you might find yourself really stressed out if someone's coming over to make sure it looks spotless and perfect. You might even want to do yard work outside to make sure it looks really well-groomed. And I think the reason we do that is because we attach our identity to our social status. We attach our identity to the things that we have And you know who does that is is the world. The world has all these different standards and values, and we need to be really careful when we start uh, ascribing to the values that the world has set. So if the world thinks something is really valuable, uh, it would be very natural for us to slip into those mindsets as well, but I would warn you against that. We start to think that money more money is better, and that more social status, more uh, fame is better. And we see the disciples have the same struggle, too. The disciples were often caught fighting about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, which one of them would sit at the right hand of Christ when uh, the rule was brought to earth. And that kind of shows that they didn't really get what the gospel was all about. But we'll come back to the disciples later. Okay, so let's talk about saving for a little bit. If you want to be extremely careful with your money, you can save it. You can try not to spend money on things. And this is something that I'm going to speak from personal experience, as my parents know very well, as my wife knows. From a young age, I was extremely careful with my money. I was very tight-fisted. I would get all my birthday money that I had, and I would put it in a little safe. And to make sure that I knew how much I had at any moment, I had a little slip of paper that I kept in my safe that I would write down every time I made money and anytime I needed to spend money, I would also write that down. And so I essentially had crude uh, financial statements in in my stuff from a young age. Um, That has continued until this day. Uh, My wife can tell you, we literally yesterday were working on our budget for the month and looking at how we did in August. And really, what is this doing? It's allowing us to be able to calculate what uh, my bank account's gonna look like in a month or in a year. It can tell me how long I'm going to have to save money at a certain rate to make a purchase or rent a certain type of apartment. And essentially, what I want is complete control of my future. I want to be able to know how well everything is going to be going in a year if everything goes as planned. And what I want you to see is that I'm really wise and really careful. And I want you to see that I, I do everything with a lot of thought and planning. But what really is happening is that I don't trust God with my future. So when I pray for my daily bread, I don't actually mean it. I don't want to ever have to depend on God for my future. I don't want to ever have to ask people for money or for help paying a bill, because that would be humiliating to me. I want complete control and independence, and so what I portray as wise spending and carefulness is really just pride and arrogance. And another thing is, I may judge other people for the uh, reckless spending that they do, financing a car, financing a phone even. Um, but really, I'm kind of guilty of the same sin because although maybe I'm not buying that really nice phone, I've spent hours researching online what nice phones are and what I could potentially buy if I, if I really splurged. And as we know what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he was always raising the ante on the laws that they had. And so, for example, he said, it is written, you shall not murder, but I tell you, anyone who has hated his brother in his heart has already murdered. And so even if I'm not spending my money on things that I want, if I'm pining after them, if I'm constantly thinking about, fantasizing about all these purchases I could make, then I'm also in the wrong. So I've talked a little bit about, uh, I've talked a little bit about what's wrong with how we approach money. And so what's what's the thing we should be aiming for? What's our goal? And I will tell you right now, it has to be that Christ is our treasure. Christ has to be the highest value to us. I started talking this morning about how these different dangers with money are because of idols. The word idol implies that it's something that comes in between our affection and worship for God. So, my desire for comfort, my desire for security, maybe my desire for luxury, those all are things that are coming in between my desire for God. And I will say right now, we cannot love and worship God while also loving and worshiping these other things. If we want to use money well, we must treasure God above every other thing. So, I will say, if God isn't the primary thing we have in mind, if God isn't our primary treasure, when we're budgeting or when we're saving or when we're spending money, we're going to be in sin no matter what we do. There was once a young man who came to Jesus while he was teaching and said, hoping to get some credit, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it said he was a a rich man. And Jesus said, well, you must keep the law. And, And the man said, well, I've kept all those from a young age. And it says Jesus loved him and then asked him to do one thing. He said, go home, sell everything you own, and then come and follow me. And it's a simple request, but as we all can kind of imagine, it's a, it's a hard request. And it says that the man was sad as he left. And it said he had a great many possessions, so he was sad. And so we see that there's that choice. And Jesus lovingly made him make that choice because he knows, Jesus knows that we can't have both him and money. He says in another place that you cannot serve two masters, talking about how you can't serve all these earthly goals that you have and also serve God at the same time. Um, Happiness, security, comfort, sense of identity, they cannot come simultaneously from God and another source. And so I will say faith is believing that your identity, that your happiness, that your comfort, your security, faith is believing that all of those things can come from Christ so much more than they can come from anything on earth, including money. The world always is pursuing more money. The One of the primary goals of people nowadays, and probably for all eternity, will be to earn more money in our lifetime. Work harder, get a better education so that we can earn more money and save more money so that we can make purchases like a nice house, a nice car, save up for our kids, college. All of these things are are cool goals, but if we believe that those things will give us happiness, satisfaction, out of life, comfort, security, then we 're wrong. And I'll say faith is believing that Christ can do it better. I think one of the best examples in all of Scripture is Paul. Paul had these things that people valued so much. Uh, if you would look with me at Philippians three, it'll, it'll be projected behind. Paul listed all these things in Philippians three verse four he said though I have myself reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Before I continue, all of these things might not uh, matter to us now, Or even, like, calling himself a Pharisee might have a bad connotation now. But in that time, all of the people in that time were pursuing all of these different things. They wanted influence. They wanted authority. Paul was the man who everyone knew. Everyone looked to him for spiritual guidance and authority. Paul had sway, and political sway, too, because he was a Roman and a Hebrew. He had everything someone could have wanted in that time. Everything that someone could have spent their entire life trying to achieve. And what does he say in the next few verses? He says, "...but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul knew what was to be valued. Even though he had things that people on earth wanted so desperately, he was willing to get rid of them. And he actually did get rid of all of them. If you read through Acts, you'll see that Paul had all that authority and all that standing uh, with the Jews at the time, but then he kind of threw it all aside to align himself with Christ. And you'll see kind of how he elaborates over and over about why he did it to show, it shows kind of how desperate he was to truly know Christ and to be found in him. And I think that's something that's beautiful that we should strive for. I don't know if you ever think, I want to know Christ better. I want to love Christ. I think those things all the time because I'm not a particularly emotional, feely person. But I want to love God more. I want to truly treasure Christ. And so how can we do that? How can we do that in terms of our money? One word that comes to mind with money is stewardship. Stewardship is the idea of taking care of something that is someone else's. From beginning to end, it is someone else's and we want to take care of it and leave it in as good as shape as we got it or better. You can imagine yourself house-sitting or maybe babysitting. You want to take care of that other person's house or child or dog in a way that they would be happy with. You want to return it uh, in good condition, especially if it's the child or the dog, and you want to make sure that nothing bad happens. And so often you'll put put yourself in their shoes, wondering if they would clean this or dust this, or how often does the owner walk their dog, how often should I walk their dog. And so if we have this kind of mindset toward money, we'll start to think more in terms of what would God have me do with the money that he's given me, because it's God's after all. When we work for money, it kind of gives us the mindset that it's something that we've earned, we deserve, and if we've worked hard for it, then why can't we make the decisions with it? But if we have this stewardship mindset, if we retrain our minds to think in this way, we'll be more wise, we'll be more godly in how we use it, and we won't be so arrogant and prideful with it. Another important thing is to still make the decisions that we do. God asks us to make decisions uh, based on his will, but he asks us to make them confidently and to have faith in him. But I think one really important thing is to yield to God in our decision-making. Um, I notice how rarely I pray when I'm trying to make a decision uh, that I've put a lot of work into. The, I think the ironic thing is that the more work I put into something, the more adequate I feel, the less I pray. And I guess the reason that's ironic is because the gospel teaches us that the only good things that come from us are from God. And so if I truly believe what the Bible says, the more I put into something, the more adequate I feel, I probably should pray more because of how incapable I am. Another important thing about... Uh, how we spend our money, is if we're truly yielding to God in our decisions, we're going to be more willing to take risks. I put risks in quotations because I'm not advocating for flippant or careless or reckless use of money. But I will say there are so many times when it doesn't make sense financially for us to help someone out, to help a friend out, to donate money, or to spend money in any number of ways. It doesn't always make sense for us to do things. But If we're truly yielding to God's will, the way he has us live is not always the way that the world thinks we should live. And so we need to check our logic, and we need to remind ourselves that the way of the world is not always the way that God wants us to live. In fact, it's often not that way. You see, Mary came to Jesus Christ on one night and spent an entire year's worth of money on perfume so that in one moment she could pour it out on his feet and worship him. And that was... Seemingly crazy and reckless and she was criticized for it. Judas called her out on it But Jesus said that in that moment she knew what was right. She knew what to treasure between money and Christ She decided to worship Christ and so I think often we need to be more willing to worship and treasure God in our decisions Even if it doesn't seem like something that we are supposed to do If God is in control we will be a lot less stressed about money I mean, how often do you find yourself dwelling on ideas of uh, what I want to do in the future? How am I going to be able to save up enough money for this? How are these people going to be able to afford that? And so if God is truly in control and if we truly submit to his will with things, we'll be so much less stressed. It will be freeing to us to make a decision and to know that we prayed about it and we gave it to God and we asked for his blessing on it. If it's no longer on our shoulders, if we take the pressure off of ourselves in planning perfectly and budgeting well, then it's in His hands and we can be so much more free in it. And that doesn't mean God's not going to call us into times of life where it is really stressful and where things are tight. But if we truly have faith that God is in control, then it'll be so freeing for us. And in the end, we've got to remember the gospel. As I said, Everything we do is bad unless God is is there in us. And so the gospel teaches us that we're frail, weak, poor, incapable, needy. You can name any number of adjectives there. We are so helpless without God. And yet we hear all the time, especially in America, we hear that if you work hard for something, you can get it. And that's a beautiful idea, the pursuit of happiness. If you have a goal, you can work hard and you can achieve it. And... And I really like that, and I think that is a wonderful thing and an inspirational uh, idea for us. But spiritually, that's wrong. God doesn't want us to work hard so that we can earn something with God. He says that he wants us to come forward with our brokenness, he wants us to come empty handed, broken before him, and that he can do it, and he can achieve it in us. And so while our earthly, or while the world teaches us that we need to work hard for everything in life, God wants us to be completely dependent on him. Independence is not something we should value spiritually. Autonomy is not something that we should value, although it's something that we often subconsciously or consciously work for. So remember the disciples, how they were always arguing about who was the greatest, and they were they were trying to uh, rank themselves so that when the kingdom came, they would have more authority and maybe a higher role. Well, does anyone remember what Jesus did in response to that? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, Jesus brought a child amongst them. Jesus brought a child in and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so my take-home point for you this morning is we need to treasure God above all else. And so often we have these heart conditions, these heart idols that we want to be fulfilled, and we work hard to try to gain those things, but really we'll be so far from the point if we do that. Christ has to be our treasure, and he has to be the one we're pursuing. Paul, in Philippians 3, he says that he, uh, he counts all these things as lost so that he may know Christ. And if you go on to the next section, that's where he starts talking about how he strains forward and presses on toward the upward call that he has. And I think we need to strain toward God. Um, looking back at the passage with James, he says that it's the last days. And so that urgency, that straining toward God needs to be at the foremost of our hearts. So normally at this time, at the end of the sermon, we, I pray and then the music team comes up and then we sing a song and then there's a benediction. But I'd like to do it a little differently. There's a song, Be Thou My Vision. And if you look at the lyrics, it's really a song uh, or it's really a prayer And so I think I want to do it slightly differently by having us all just sing it. You don't have to stand up, but I'd like for us to sing it with no instruments. And then at the end, Tim, if you could just be ready to give the benediction.